Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host Lane Nordland. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another conversation here on the Cattleman's Call podcast. I'm Lane Nordland. Thank you for Dan McCarty's intro, as always, here on the podcast. And uh, we're pretty close to wrapping up 2022 and moving into the new year. Thanksgiving just wrapped up, and uh, at our house, we always have beef for Thanksgiving with a side of turkey. And, of course, we have the holiday season coming up with Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, etc. And uh, there's no better option for families uh, to enjoy their holiday meals than serving beef and having that at the center of our points. And uh, what better guests to join us here today as we talk about beef, preparing beef for our friends and family that are going to stop by for our holiday meals. We're joined today by NCBA chefs Steve Wald and Alex Reitz. They're they're joining us uh, here today uh, just a few steps away from the NCBA Culinary Center. And uh, Alex, I'll start with you. Uh, How are things going as uh, we get close to uh, our our Christmas holiday? Hey, Lane. uh, Thanks for having us. Uh, Thanks for having me on here today. Uh, Things are going great. Uh, We're ramping up. Uh, We've been looking at holiday recipes and uh, making sure that uh, those are going to be working for our consumers this year. So uh, that's kind of what we're doing right now. And uh, Steve, for yourself, uh, how's how's December going for you as we look up at uh, as we look at wrapping up this year? Oh, it's great. You know, just um, looking at the stores and what they're starting to merchandise. You're starting to see more prime ribs out in the in the meat case. You're starting to get their uh, shelves set for the uh, the holiday season, and we're excited about that. And here we're actually doing a little uh, last minute prime rib uh, testing in the culinary center today, and you can smell the. Uh, the aroma is just walking through the office, so it's a great time. Now, every time I'm in the NCBA office, I, I really just have to stay away from that side of the building when when, when you all are, are cooking or doing demonstrations or, or taping things because my mouth just waters. And last time I was down in the office, uh, I conned Alex into actually uh, cooking a ribeye for me. That was probably one of the best ribeyes I've had, and it was personally made for me. And I even captured it on video. And every time I watch that on my TV programs, that footage, uh, my mouth waters even more. But uh, Alex, uh, for our listeners that haven't had the opportunity to meet you, let's talk about your background, your education, and how you wound up there at the uh, Culinary Center at NCBA. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, great. Um, my background, of course, uh, uh, culinary, obviously, uh, been in the restaurant industry for about 15 years now, uh, attended Johnson & Wales uh, for about four years, um, held every position in the kitchen, so worked my way through several kitchens, doing a lot of uh, different work um, over the years, uh, wound up here about five years ago now, um, and it's been fantastic, um, been wanting to get in kind of this recipe development corporate sector of culinary, so um, this was a great fit. Um, my family's raised cattle all my life, so um, of course this is going to be a fantastic fit. And Steve, for yourself, let's talk about your background and your role uh, there uh, at NCBA. Sure. So, yeah, um, I actually went, took a different route than Alice. I've always been um, interested in food and love food. And actually, when I was a kid, I wanted to have a. Probably when I was eight years old, I wrote my own menu for a restaurant that I was going to open one day. And I had all my favorite beef items on there with steak and barbecue and burgers and spaghetti, et cetera. Um, but, uh, you know, I went to college. I um, went to Illinois State University and um, got a degree in marketing. So I went down that route and uh, was basically involved in food. I, in my mind, I was going to work for a manufacturer and go into sales. And 
I started out in the retail side of, of the food industry and then went to work for two different um, product manufacturers. And one was a consulting company that um, worked to help bring products from Italy to the U.S. as well. So, again, been involved with food all my life. But um, when I started with NCBA, I actually started on the veal side of the organization and moved into retail and then into the new product development side. So I've been on the new product development side for the last oh, 15 years or so of my time here at NCBA. And I've been here about 25 years, so it's been quite a while. Um, but in that time with product development, um, uh, kind of weaved into the, the culinary program as well. So, um, and those kind of, those programs are kind of melded together. So I've been involved with the culinary side of it. And, you know, in terms of cooking, heck, you know, I was not, um, you know, I didn't go to the classic uh, culinary school like Alex did. I was kind of more self-taught. I don't know if I'd even call myself a chef, but, um, you know, I, I leave that title to Alex. But, uh, you know, my dad uh, served in the U.S. military and he ran the food service um, kitchen down at Fort Hood, Texas. So he was kind of in that, that food area as well and had other positions in food service as well. So, I, you know, I, I would trace my... Um, my cooking heritage back to my dad and um, spent a lot of time in the kitchen with him and, uh, you know, learned a lot of the basics and, and, you know, core cooking knowledge from him. But then, you know, as time goes on, you spend a lot of time in kitchens and various restaurants and meeting new people and working with people like Alex as well. You kind of learn from everyone. So that's kind of where I, what my background is. And um, so I'm more on the business side of it. Although I like to dabble in the kitchen and have fun in there as well. So it's a, you know, a great place to be. For our listeners that haven't had the opportunity to, to go to the NCBA office in Denver and see the culinary kitchen firsthand, uh, Alex, could you just describe the setup of the kitchen? It's truly right when you walk into the doors of the office. It is right there because obviously we are looking for beef. We're looking for beef. It's what's for dinner. Well, let's just maybe just try to paint a picture for our listeners of, of what the Culinary Center looks like and what are the activities that go on in there day in and day out. Sure, yeah. Um, you described it so well. It's the center right there. As soon as you walk in, it's front and center. It's right there. It's a great focal point. Um, the kitchen's actually, we can break it out into two sections. So the uh, the first section that everybody sees when they walk in is our consumer side. Uh, we do a lot of video shoots in there. They might recognize the backdrop. It says beef, it's what's for dinner on the wall. It's massive. Um, and it's set up to look just like a consumer's kitchen. Um, it looks super modern, um, kind of got a farmhouse kind of look to it a little bit, uh, country feel. Uh, but as you dive deeper into it, there's um, a whole bunch of cooking equipment. Everything a consumer could ever want is on that side. Um, my wife comes in here and she's like, this is my dream kitchen because there's literally everything in here. Um, and there's four ovens. We test on gas and electric. We test all those recipes at least three times on that side of the kitchen. Uh, we use both those gas and electric uh, ovens to get you the most accurate results, no matter what you're working on. Uh, and then we move towards the back side of the kitchen there um, where it's set up. It looks just like a restaurant uh, kitchen on the back side. We can test recipes for different corporations, um, people like Carabas, Outback Steakhouse, all of that. Um, we can test recipes for them. Uh, we can test different cuts of beef. Uh, we can do educational trainings with chefs on that side. We can do um, some carcass breakdowns with some of our with our meat scientists on staff. Uh, all of that can happen on that back side of the kitchen. Not to mention we use that back side of the kitchen for catering. 
Um, if you're lucky enough to be coming in here for a meeting, uh, you'll probably be tasting some delicious food set out by Steve and I um, that's focused around beef and exactly what we're doing in there every day. Well, I always encourage folks, if they're in Denver, stop by the NCBA headquarters and uh, and get a tour of the office. But also, if, if, if there's not a whole uh, uh, a day of events or whatnot, uh, if you're lucky enough to be able to pop your head in or see some of the cooking demonstrations and the trials that are going on in the Culinary Center, you need to do it. It's very worthwhile. And, uh, you know, obviously the focus of today's conversation is the holiday meals and as I mentioned, Thanksgiving is behind us now, and you know a lot of people do. They they serve that that yard bird, I call it turkey, um, but uh, we always serve make sure that we have beef on the table. But with Christmas, uh, Hanukkah, and Kwanzaa coming up, uh, what kind of beef dishes are most common this type time of year as we look at uh, uh, at the various uh, meal options that are out there? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and all these different. Um cultures and religions and all of this um, all celebrate um, with beef, which is fantastic. Everybody has their kind of own beef dish, whether it's coming from uh, uh, the rib section with a nice ribeye roast or the, the tenderloin to all the way to the brisket. Um, Hanukkah's uh, coming up here pretty quick and um, brisket is definitely one of our most trending things during that time. A nice slow cooked brisket um, is fantastic. Uh, Kwanzaa, as you said, um, fantastic as well. Um, I know some people that celebrate Kwanzaa and they always cook beef shanks, uh, slow roasted beef shanks. Um, and then of course, Christmas, we all know a nice rib roast, a tenderloin roast, um, what have you. Everybody kind of has their own um, celebrate celebratory meal. Um, and what I always see over um, all of these different um, religions and such um, is that they always slow cook in it. Everything is slow cooked. It's some kind of a roast um, braised for a long period of time with a lot of hearty vegetables. Um, and that's just uh, super comfort food, no matter uh, what you're celebrating. No, very true. And uh, beef is my comfort food, no doubt. And, uh, you, you know, you look back to over the over the years, uh, there's always so many dishes that, that families that, that are so traditional uh, to have on the, the, the holiday meal table. Uh, tell us more about the holiday meals that have changed over the decades. What, what dishes were popular two to three decades ago versus today when we're looking at these different sides or main courses? Yeah, you know, that's a really a great question. I mean, you, you've heard the old saying, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And uh, that's a little bit true. Um, but, you know, things have changed over the years. I know, like, when I was uh, younger, I mean, there were, um, and especially working in retail in the, you know, say the 1990s, um, prime rib was a, a big thing, and, of course, beef tenderloin. But, um, and you still see a lot of this today in terms of sirloin roast and, and, um strip loin roast and, and other roast like a rump roast is a big one as well. Um, but those were probably fairly pretty common back then. And I think things, you know, it's just a, a different time. Um, and as we move forward, you, you know, you are, or back then I would say um, in terms of like the side dishes that people would prepare things, I would say were, you know, very popular, obviously the mashed potatoes and things like that. They're still popular today, but you know, the, I always call it the broccoli cheese and rice casserole or, uh, you know, the green bean casseroles. Again, those things um, are classics, were classics back then and they're classics today. But as you, you know, go forward in time, 
you start to see a lot more, um, you know, things, new twists on things. You know, instead of just steamed Brussels sprouts, it's the uh, the crisp Brussels sprouts, you know, the kind of the candied Brussels sprouts. Um, people are adding a little bit more ingredients and finesse to their, their side dishes. In terms of, it also, another one, you know, going back into the, uh, you know, the, the 1990s, a really big one was a beef wellington. And, you know, that's still a classic dish now. But, you know, back then, that was like a big, the, the, the kind of one of the big holiday specialty um, dinners. If you had beef wellington, you knew it was going to be like a real special dinner. And obviously that is today as well, but it was really popular back then. Um, and, yeah, you know, I look at the, the meals now, the plates now, the menus now, and, uh, you know, that, that prime rib roast, I tell you, to me, that's still the, that's the granddaddy of all holiday roast. Um, you know, it's just such a beautiful roast. People love it. The flavor is great. It's such a, a, a great presentation when you bring that out of the table, um, on set it on the table and you carve it. Um, everyone just loves that. But, you know, other things have changed too, in terms of, um, you know, how people, you know, look at things and how things are prepared, you know, as we, as we move forward in time, you know, going back even into the, the, you know, the mid 2000s, uh, you know, 2005 or so, you had the advent of a lot more convenience foods, a lot more convenient foods. So you had, instead of people preparing mashed potatoes from scratch, there's a lot of people that will buy the mashed potatoes that come in the container that are already cooked. So all you do is microwave them and the, a lot of the side dishes that are microwavable. Um, so other things, things like that, things have changed in that way. So, from a convenience standpoint, but still people are one to add that special twist to make that nice dinner, that nice presentation by adding again, a little bit more elegance to the meal sometimes. And again, you know, if you, you know, go to my family house, my family's dinner, um, it's probably going to be a little bit more of that classic, um, you know, the mashed potatoes and gravy and the broccoli cheese and rice casserole. My wife calls it green rice. Um, you know, it's just, those classic meals that, you know, people still kind of gravitate to back towards, um, you know, probably their younger, you know, younger childhood is what they crave. And um, it's kind of what, you know, when it comes down to, um, you know, Christmas and the holidays, that's kind of when, again, that comfort feel comes back to it. But, you know, a, a big thing also, I just want to mention, you know, back going into, you know, early 2000, 2001, there was just a huge change with, you know, 9-11 and everything. And I hate to bring that up right now, but, you know, that was a time when people were really into the comfort, into the nesting. And um, I remember back in retail at that point, when I was working in retail then, there were a lot of people for, for Christmas doing meatloaf and chuck roast and things like that, which were not quite, quite traditional holiday items, but it's what they just wanted. It's what they craved. It's what they the family kind of gathered around and, and, um, and that's kind of, you know, waned a little bit, kind of going back to the more traditional prime rib and tenderloin roast. But, you know, it's just inter interesting to see how things have changed over the years. And nowadays you can cook meatloaf in an air fryer if you wanted to. Yes, you can. And, and Alex has done some recipes on that just within the last year. So you can check those out. Well, and, and you talk about the recipes. Um, I, I pulled up beefitswhatsfordinner.com, and, and friends, we all know Beef It's What's For Dinner. It's such a great promoter of beef, but it, it's not just promoting beef. It's educating consumers uh, who are cooking beef, and I'm one of those consumers. I, I love to cook, but 
I don't remember what temperatures need to be other than when I'm cooking a steak or whatnot, but how long, you know, how many pounds. And that's what I love so much about the work that you all put into these recipes. Um, last year, I cooked the pistachio crusted beef rib roast. Mm. That's what we did. And, you know, you hear people like, oh, you got to sear the sides of the prime rib and then put it in. Then you got to like cook it at this temperature, then drop it down. And you guys are so just straightforward, like 350 degrees for this many. I mean, I I, I kind of had a little unspoken rivalry with my brother-in-law last year. We did Christmas Eve at my house, and the prime rib came out perfect, just perfect. His didn't. His cooked too long, and he, he you know, seared it. He did, did all the stuff, temperature fluctuations. So, I mean, I, I, I am Mr. Prime Rib. Watch me, you know, jinx it now this year. Yeah. But uh, let, let's maybe talk about, you know, the, the recipes that are available online, but also how, uh, how if people want to serve beef, what are some of those simple and easy beef dishes that people can prepare for the holiday meals, and they can find those recipes right online at beefitswhatsfordinner.com. Yeah, that's uh, that's right. Yeah, beefitswhatsfordinner.com has such a wealth of information. Just like you said, you can find just about anything there, um, and we are pretty straightforward with what we uh, give out for information. We could sit here all day and talk about um, how to cook a rib roast and all the different ways and all the different techniques and styles and all of that, um, but. What we want is just to educate the consumer with just some straightforward information that will produce a great rib roast every time. Um, as you take a look at that holiday collection, uh, there's just so much different. There's so many different things on there for whatever you're looking for. Um, we have that classic beef Wellington recipe that Steve was talking about. Uh, we still have that on there, of course. Um, uh, your rib roast recipe is on there. That's one of my favorites, actually, that pistachio crusted. It's fantastic. Um, we also have some other stuff on there that uh, you take a look at that um, is for a different budget, you know, whatever budget you happen to be on this year. Uh, and we recognize that no matter what, uh, but there's anything on there for different types of budgets. You know, there's a strip loin roast that we developed this year um, that's got a, a green peppercorn crust on it. It's got that rich elegantness like a rib roast would, but uh, for a fraction of the cost. Uh, so we have that on there. Um, there's some braised dishes, there's some brisket on there, um, all sorts of different things for different budgets and uh, different styles and whatever you you feel confident with. You know, we see a lot of consumers that don't feel super confident cooking that rib roast. You spend a lot of money on it and they just don't want to mess it up. They're super nervous about it. Um, while cooking something like a brisket, uh, it's going to take away all that uh, risk associated with it uh, a little easier. Um, but it's just all about uh, the consumers and what uh, what fits their uh, style of cooking for sure. Um, going forward, uh, what we see, you know, happening this holiday season, uh, you know, we're going to we see that consumers are still going to be wanting to buy those tenderloins, those rib roasts. And that's fantastic. And like I said, we have something on there for anybody's budget. So no matter what your budget is this year, uh, you can make that uh, even if you if it's just ground beef. You know, we have that air fryer ground beef on there this year. Uh, you can show your relatives that maybe bought you an air fryer last year. Hey, look what I can cook in the, this year. Um, and you can make that fantastic um, meatloaf or something like that for them as well. And, you know, you look at these recipes and uh, like I was talking about when, when you just cook those those uh, rib roasts for, at 350 degrees. Why, and I'm jumping into the weeds on this because I truly am curious. <laughs> you, you all have spent so much time 
testing these and getting them fine-tuned so consumers have that enjoyable meal every single time when it comes to beef being at the center of their plate. You know, could, could you walk us through why you just consistently cook that at 350 degrees and, and don't go with the, the Reddit recipes where they want you to do this and that and everywhere in between? Can, can you share the science behind that? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's more so just finding that that temperature. Most consumers don't want to cook something really on high heat. Um, they're scared to cook something at 400, 475, you know, whatever it happens to be. Um, there's just so much more risk involved with that. And I agree, you know, um, things can get out of control real fast, right? Uh, that 350 is a safe temperature. Um, it goes low and slow at that temperature, uh, making sure that that rib roast, you know, cooks evenly and it's consistent all the way through. Um, we test these, like you said, every year we go through and we just retest them, even if it's been on the website for 20 plus years, you know, just to make sure that it's still working, uh, that you can still cook that rib roast at 350 and it'll take between, you know, two, three hours, uh, depending on the size and all of that. Uh, and then we test, you know, bone in, boneless, no matter what you're cooking, you'll be able to cook that consistently. Uh, and that's always been a challenge over the years, you know, um, we don't, know what consumers are working on we can figure it's either gas or electric but there's also a lot of other things to take into account uh temperature in the room and all of that and uh, what they're doing the size of the roast what the roast looks like the quality grade all of that uh is factored in so it's a lot to wrap your head around but uh we've taken that all out we've made it easy we've made it consistent for consumers and they're going to appreciate that consistency for sure um one of the biggest uh things that i see with consumers is um go out and buy yourself an oven-proof thermometer. I feel most consumers do not have one. They're opening that oven door a thousand times and sticking it with like this little probe thermometer and waiting, and it's just losing heat out of the oven. You can pick up an oven-proof thermometer for like 20, 30 bucks. You stick that right in the rib roast, right in the oven. It's safe to go in the oven. Um, and then you can monitor that temperature outside the oven. You don't have to open the door or anything like that. And once it reach, reaches that temperature that we tell you to on uh, Beef It's What's For Dinner, go ahead and pull it out at that temperature, let it rest just like we say to, um, and then go ahead and slice it up and it'll be consistent every time. That's what we're doing in here. Um, that's what I encourage you guys to go out and do at home. Uh, but definitely oven-proof thermometer is that gadget that a lot of you don't have, but you definitely need it. So if you've bought an oven-proof thermometer for, for a family or friends, let them open it before they cook the meal. That, 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 I'm just going to encourage everyone to do that. And uh, on another side note, we, we, we got a new oven uh, this fall, and I was so excited that it had the internal plug-in for the probe, temperature probe, and it just shows up right there. And it seems to be pretty dang accurate uh, on that part. So, But I'm still going to put a put a, a a traditional thermometer in there just in case that little it looks like a guitar uh jack pickup inside the, <laughs> the oven there kind of scares me when you when you put rubber in there but uh <laughs> yeah. yeah but you know when we look at you know steve was talking about the, those trends and just how families have had different options and sides you know and you both have mentioned it uh, cost is always on people's minds uh, we we're always budget um we're always aware of, uh, of consumers' budgets. So w when we've seen these changes in consumer habits and what they are serving um, at, during holiday season, is cost kind of the driver 
in, in that, or is it a change in taste or new recipes or innovations? What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's a really good question. I would say it could be a little bit of both. That depends on, you know, the time as well. I mean, with the economy, it's been, you know, somewhat cyclical, but um, as a rule, you know, um, personal incomes and uh, disposable incomes have, have increased. And, you know, the actually the relative price of beef is still relatively low. You go back to years and years and years ago, well before I was born, you know, the cost of protein was actually pretty expensive in terms of a person's disposable income. And now it's the, the percentage of that income is so much less in terms of how much they're spending on food. So, it, yeah, I mean, it, cost is certainly a part of it. And, you know, there's times in the 90s and you know, 2008, 2009, when, you know, we had the housing market and, you know, the, the crash and, and various things where, yeah, it puts a bite into uh, people's pocketbooks, book, put, excuse me, pocketbooks uh, for sure. Um, so cost is certainly a part of that. But I would say the other thing, too, is that, you know, people are starting to, um, you know, just wanting to experience new things with the advent of all the, you know, the celebrity chefs and the, and the food shows and people getting new ideas and, um, you know, new, uh, new recipes to serve. I think a lot of it has to do with that and trying to just make, especially that Christmas meal, um, that holiday meal as special as possible. So I think it has, you know, it's just a mix of things. And in terms of, you know, the product, I think when it comes to the holidays, um, you know, people, most people are going to stick with, you know, more traditional uh, meat cuts, nothing too fancy in terms of, you know, pre-cooked products or anything like that. So I think they're still sticking to the traditional cuts. And if you, um, you know, if you're going to go, um, you know, looking for that rib roast during the holiday season, you got to check those store ads because that's when they're really going to run the hot deals on, on beef roast, whether it's going to be, especially the prime rib, usually that's a store that's going to be the one of the lead features, but it's, you know, the, the New York strip or the strip loin, um, tenderloin and, you know, sirloin roast, et cetera, you're going to see, um, good pricing. So, Really, as Alan said, there's a there's a cut for everyone. So I wouldn't look at price so much. I think it's really what is it that you want? What do you want to serve? And uh, you know, of course, what's it going to fit your budget? But there's a, again a cut for everyone, a price for everyone. And so we've really got it covered with a lot of great recipes and a lot of good alternatives for cooking. Well, and as I mentioned earlier, when you have that recipe right in front of you, and if you can follow those directions pretty closely. You're going to have a good meal out out of just following those instructions. You all do the hard work, and uh, it, you also get to enjoy that at the end of the, the the day too. But if you can just follow those instructions, it really it makes cooking so much easier. It takes that stress of the holidays off as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, but but with that, we have all the directions there. Uh, other than skipping a step in following those directions, what are some common mistakes that? Uh, that folks cooking at home should avoid uh, cooking here during the holiday season or uh, through throughout the year? Uh, yeah, just like uh, I said a little bit ago with that oven-proof thermometer, that's the most common mistake. Um, that oven-proof thermometer also works throughout the rest of the year on your grill and everything else. Um, so uh, that's definitely one of the most common. Another one is not letting it rest long enough. Uh, we see consumers just pull it out of the oven and maybe let it rest what they think is 10 minutes, but in probably all reality, it's five minutes because they're so hungry. They want to feed everybody. Everybody else is hungry. Uh, but letting that rest, um, if it's a roast, 10 minutes 
uh, even longer. Uh, it just helps it out so much. Uh, not only is it going to get up to that uh, great temperature, uh, but it's also just going to make that eating experience so much better. Uh, it's going to retain those juices. It's going to reabsorb some of the other juices. And it's just going to make that eating experience so much better by just letting it rest. You know, um, I know I have the same issue at home. I just want to eat right away, right? We all do. And, you know, the best thing, I just distract myself. You know, I go and finish something else, whether it's a salad, whether it's mashed potatoes or whatever it happens to be. Set something aside so that way you keep yourself busy for that, those 10 minutes and set a timer. Just set the timer and once it's done, it's done and you're good to go. Um, we can all wait 10 minutes for that. Yeah. Uh, another one is um, if we're doing a roast, we want to make sure we have a great roasting pan. Um, something that lets that air circulate around the roast. Uh, not letting that roast sit in so many juices and things like that. Um, kind of elevating it. Uh, if you don't want to go out and buy a roasting pan, I get it. Um, just use some tin foil, make like a little bit of a bridge on the bottom of your pan and set the roast on top. Anything to get it up off um, the pan itself and let air circulate around it. It's just going to form that great crust all the way around. Uh, you're not going to have any um, of those uh, wet spots that are unappetizing or unappetizing to look at. You know, you're just going to have all of that great crust by just elevating that roast up off the pan. Um, I know you can find some pretty good priced ones. Uh, you don't need to spend a lot of money on them. Uh, just anything that'll kind of raise that up. I know people use vegetables and things like that. That also works. Um, but uh, yeah, just uh, making sure that you have that great roasting pan or a great way to roast um, is just going to set you up for more success. You know, in our family and like so many others, uh, olives are obviously the most, you know, popular appetizer and uh maybe in that 10 minute period you can just put the 10 olives on your fingers and every minute you eat an olive uh, uh when, when you're when you're tinting uh, that uh that beef when it comes out of the oven i think that's fantastic like <laughs> uh, you put that put that in the recipes uh, on beef with what's for dinner and say lane nordland suggested this um but uh you know outside of the holidays uh you know as we mentioned uh, budgets are on the tops of everybody's minds right now but what cuts of beef are our consumers really leaning towards in the grocery store uh, here today? You know, there's obviously you go into a store with beef, you're looking at beef cuts and half the meat case, half the beef section anyway, is dedicated towards ground beef. So ground beef is always going to be a huge seller. People are always doing, um, you know, you know, I'm, burgers and ground beef dishes and meatloaf and you know meatloaf is actually our number one recipe consistently on beef with for dinner throughout the year so it's something that people always it's a go-to for people um but you know we have the whole animal to sell and and, and people buy it and you know that's steak is always very popular um you know the, all the various cuts of steak so whether it's you know ribeye sirloin um new york strip um whatever it might be um but you also look at, you know, the various um, pot roasts and so on. So a chuck roast is very popular. Um, and those type of cuts, the braising cuts, especially this time of year, something that's that's going to, um, you know, still really be popular in the in the colder um, in the colder months. But if you look at the grocery store itself, you go to the grocery store and, and the shelves, they're cutting a lot more thin cuts. Um, and that's a way for people to stretch their dollar some for their everyday meals. So they're looking at a lot more, um, you know, skillet 
type steaks, um, thin cut steaks, stir fry, um, strips of meat. So it's, it's things where you can use beef as an ingredient or use it as, um, you know, sandwiches, um, uh, you know, again, like one skillet uh, meals. So again, you're seeing a lot more of those uh, thin cuts of meat. And um, I think the, the, the big driver behind that, you know, if you can keep that package of meat on the shelf at, uh, you know, around $10, I think most consumers are happy with that. And I think that's what a lot of the retailers are looking at um, outside the steak cuts. Um, but, you know, for regular packages of meat to feed the family, I think that's what you're looking at. A lot of those uh, uh, thin cuts. Alex, another question, bone in or bone out on the rib, on the rib roast? That, I, I, that's a question people ask me, and I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, always, always with anything that you're ever doing, bone in. Um, it just adds all of that flavor from the bone. Um, it does take a little bit longer with that bone in there, of course, uh, but it's worth it to have that extra flavor. You get that extra presentation, and actually it makes it easier to cut because if you cut in between the bones, uh, it gives you that pretty good um, average size slice, uh, and that way uh, everybody's getting a consistent piece for sure. Um, if we're talking about rib roasts uh, for this holiday season, um, depending on your store, they'll usually take the bones off and tie them back on. And that is the best because you get that flavor from the bone, uh, when you're roasting. And then when you're done, you just clip those little strings off of there. Uh, and then that bone section just pops right off and you don't have to worry about cutting around them. If that's your, uh, if you're scared of cutting around them, uh, you don't have to worry about cutting them off, which is also good. Uh, but you still get all that great flavor. Um, and if you, that hasn't happened, uh, you could always ask the butcher at the store, you know, Hey, can you just take these ribs off of here and just tie them back on? It'll take those guys less than 10 minutes to do it. And, uh, it's totally worth it. Um, I get not every store sells them with bones on and that's totally fine too. Uh, just look around for your price, your quality grade, whatever you guys want, um, and make sure that you do that. But, um, for my recommendation, always bone in. And uh, what what are your both both of you what what are your favorite cuts of beef to eat? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and that changes very seasonally for me at least. Uh, definitely during this time of the year, I love a rib roast. Um, that's what my family uh, serves during this time of year. Um, growing up, we used to we always had beef for um, Christmas around this time. Um, I was telling Steve about this the other day. Um, we would always have some kind of beef. Uh, when we were kids, it was more of a roast style, um, less expensive cut, but now it's a more of a rib roast. So that's definitely uh, this time of year. Uh, in the summertime, I like to take that uh, and just cut that into a steak. I like a good ribeye steak. Uh, it's fantastic. Um, depending on the market, tri-tip is also one of my favorites. It's super versatile uh, as a steak. You can smoke it. You can roast it. Uh, there's so many great things you can do with that tri-tip. Um, and then uh, my last of my favorite cuts, because I have so many, I couldn't just pick one for you, Lane. Um, skirt steak is definitely one of my favorites. Uh, it's super good, super quick. Um, you can pair that with just about anything. Uh, and then uh, it always works great uh, marinated. So I always get that in the fridge the night before and marinate that up. Steve? Yeah, I mean, Alex covered a lot of the, you know, my favorite cuts as well. I mean, it's, so but I would have to say, you know, for the holidays, um, that standing rib roast, the bone-in rib roast um, cooked to a nice medium, medium rare um, is, is, is my go-to cut. 
um, for the holidays for sure. But, you know, looking outside of just the holidays, um, I love pot roast, a nice braised, uh, you know, slowly cooked, slowly braised pot roast. Cause there's so much you can do. The, this is the classic, um, you know, pot roast with, you know, your carrots and potatoes. But uh, one of my son's favorite uh, meals for me to make him is I, I take pot roast and make beef and noodles out of it. And, uh, but also with the pot roast, it's so versatile, you know, you can cook it and braise it and shred it um, for, you know, tacos and barbecue beef. It's just so very versatile. So I love that cut. And then um, another favorite cut of mine is um, short ribs. I just love the richness of that. And, you know, when I'm talking about short ribs, Alex is talking about the, you know, you know, bone in or boneless. Um, I love that bone in short rib. You just get that nice um, flavor after you're braising that for several hours, that flavor in the, from the bone and, the, and it goes into the broth. It just develops such a nice, rich flavor and actually a texture from that bone as well. Um, you get the, that comes out into the sauce that uh, just has a really nice uh, mouthfeel with that. And um, just the flavor of those, those short ribs from the chuck um, are just a, just a wonderful, um, I really can't even describe, but just a wonderful eating experience for me. And, you know, um, in the summertime, you know, I love that ribeye steak. Um, the New York strip is good as well, but you know, the ribeye is my go-to and, you know, honestly, to me, just having a nice grilled burger cooked, nice medium doneness on a toasted bun with your favorite toppings. To me, a, a burger is one of my favorite things as well. Do you guys ever get tired of eating beef? Never. <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, uh, it, it's funny. I've, I've been asked that once or twice before. And, uh, you know, sometimes you think after you've done testing in the kitchen all day and you, um, you know, you, you're sampling steaks or new recipes and so on. You, you kind of get a little bit full. You go home at night and think, what's well, for dinner? Well, you know, shoot, I'm going to have another steak. I'm fine with that. Yep. Been doing it for 25 years and been eating beef all my life. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to quit now. Yeah. There was only one correct answer to, to that last question. <laughs> you set us up. <laughs> but, uh, and I'll, I'll, for our listeners, uh, a ribeye is my, my go-to just a day in and day out, uh, medium rare. Well, yeah, ribeye all day long. And uh, for our listeners that are out there and they're thinking, oh, gosh darn, I need to check out beefitswhatsfordinner.com slash recipes, do it. Go check it out. They have their uh, classic holiday dinner selection. And it's so great because when you when you look on the recipes, it actually pulls up your local uh, grocery store. Say if you don't have those ingredients, they can put that in your cart and they can take care of it. But it also has the types of wines or uh, that you should pair with the, the meal that you're preparing as well. And, uh, you know, if you just really want to knock the socks off of your mother-in-law uh, and, and they're coming over for Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, or, or whatever holiday that, that you will be uh, participating in, Go there, follow the directions, and uh, she'll be raving about it for years. So uh, th that's what I do. I, I go to beefitswhatsfordinner.com. Uh, not just to impress my mother-in-law, but for everybody that, that I cook for, even myself. Sometimes I'm like, ooh, Lane, I didn't think you can do it that good, but I did. Thanks to beefitswhatsfordinner.com. <laughs> but, but, gentlemen, any last thoughts here as uh, we get ready for the holiday season uh, or anything you would just like to share with our listeners? You know, go out there, uh, find that delicious roast, whatever it is for your budget, whatever it is you're celebrating, go out there, find that delicious roast or that delicious cut of beef, whatever it happens to be. Um, just like you said, go on to Beef It's What's For Dinner, 
take the guesswork, take it all out of there. Uh, we got delicious side dishes and appetizers and everything. You can basically plan a whole entire meal from Beef It's What's for dinner. So there's no reason why you need to sit down and think about this for weeks on end. Just go on to Beef It's What's for dinner, uh, get all that information, make that perfect rib roast, impress your guests, impress your family, and just have a great holiday. Yeah, and if I had to add anything to that, um, you know, I think that, you know, you think about that rib roast or the, any of those oven roasts that we're talking about. Um, in, in reality, the, the roast is one of the easier things to cook. I know it sounds intimidating. It looks intimidating, but really you're seasoning it up. You're putting it at 350 degree oven. Most of our roasts cook at 350 degrees. A couple don't. But, you know, go to beefandsoulsfordinner.com. Look at the cut you want. Find that temperature. Season it. Use that instant free thermometer or, excuse me, the oven proof thermometer that uh, Alex was talking about and, uh, you know, pull it out just a little bit before, you know, 10 degrees less than what, it, what you wanted the, that final temp to be, let it rest and you're going to have a good meal. Again, beef hits what's for dinner and for the holiday season. And, uh, you know, if you need some great ambiance, you can put the drool log on the TV as well. Here's uh, that that's available on, on the beef is what's for dinner YouTube page as well. So make sure and put that drool log on as well. Every single night of the holiday season, all, all, uh, uh, all the days leading up to Christmas. If that's what you're celebrating, put the drool log on. It's a uh, very worthwhile and it'll make you want to cook more than just one prime rib or excuse me, one rib roast. I want to use the correct terminology nowadays because uh, most of us aren't buying prime uh, <laughs> when, when we're cooking those rib roasts. But uh, I would like to thank uh, NCBA chefs Steve Wald and Alex Reitz for joining us here today. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Lane. Thank you. Well, friends, that will do it for our Cattleman's Call conversation here today. Thanks for joining us, and happy holidays. I'm Lane Nordland. Thanks for tuning in to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with Lane Nordland. For more information, visit ncba.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.